White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow, Carlton Burns has put the White Sox ahead. There goes number 400 for Big Brad Burns. takes a perfect game. His second no-hitter. You can't put it on the board. Yeah. Can it go? Grand slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Have all the fun you want, Tim Anderson. This one is... Locked on socks. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know? Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey. And the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Socks podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello and welcome back to Locked On Sox after a glorious 72 win over the Detroit Tigers. Oh my God, this game started off so great and it finished off even better. This is Herb Lawrence with me, as always, is Chris Tannehill. How are you feeling after that great victory, Chris? Let me ask my guy, Bill. The White Sox win. Print the banner. Line up the parade. Michigan Avenue on the Dutch Turtle Bridge Division Street. Let's go. Facing Matthew Boyd is life's sweetest plum. Yeah, Matthew Boyd once again tonight against the White Sox is not good. Where where else can we start here tonight other than Tim Anderson getting it done again at the top of the order, starting the game off with a home run. You, you love to see it, certainly. And this little nugget here from Chris Kampka, the stat maven, the stat guru, the stat god. Tim Anderson is the first White Sox player to homer in each of the first two innings of a game since, Herb, do you know? Lance Johnson. Juan Uribe. Oh, I should have known. Yep. Juan Uribe. Juan Uribe. With a couple mentions tonight on the broadcast, Stoney had a Juan Uribe story too tonight. But yeah, so Tim Anderson, got to love it, Herbie. That this, this might be that spark at the top of the lineup that I was talking about. Your thoughts on Timmy? Timmy is just out there to prove everybody wrong, including myself. Just killing Matthew Boyd. They had a stat up there like his last five at-bats had been a home run, a single, a triple, and then two home runs. He starts off the game with that home run off of Matthew Boyd, followed up by Johan Moncada's home run, and then he comes up the next at-bat and he battles, just like he battled versus Matthew Boyd to start up the game in Detroit. He battled and hit off a couple of tough pitches and then took him to right field for another home run. It's just uh, a testament to his hard work, and the guy is killing the ball right now. Dare I say he is the White Sox best player right now? I think you're like you, the stats prove it out. He is doing a great job with the bat, at least. I don't know uh, the defensive metrics are there yet, but his bat is playing this year. As Dan Bernstein always says, ball go far, team go far, and you see it here with the Sox tonight. So you get two homers from Timmy. You get Yohan Moncada contributing, like you just mentioned. You get Danny Mendick homering, and of course you get Lou Bob, Luis Robert, two home runs tonight as well en route to the White Sox 7-2 victory. And this is from the White Sox Twitter account. The White Sox are the first team ever to hit back-to-back homers to lead off a game twice off the same pitcher. So the Matthew Boyd contention, our guy Chris Castellani from Lockdown Tigers, not happy about that, I would imagine, watching that game tonight. I haven't seen his post-game recap. I'm sure it's up there, Lockdown Tigers now. But, yeah, man, ball go far, team go far. This is what they need. We talked about all these weak contact and grounding into double plays and grounding out to second base. 
elevation, getting that ball up in the air. This team is going to be just fine if they can do just that. So, But Boyd really settled in there after that rough first inning. He, he settled in nicely, but unfortunately for him, just too many pitches in that first inning, he could never really recover and go deep into the ball game. Uh, but moving on, you just, you just love what you see from the offense tonight. Uh, Gio Gonzalez took the bump tonight, and... His starts are always just so weird. Like he he's allergic to getting a win, even though you whatever you say about a win stat, that's fine. But he's he's just he, he doesn't want anything to do with getting a win for the White Sox. He's he still holds a grudge over being traded so many times. He doesn't want to be associated with a White Sox win. Gio Gonzalez goes four and two thirds, ten strikeouts, two earned runs, two walks. 99 pitches, 59 of them for strikes. It, it's kind of rough watching Gio Gonzalez. I don't want to complain about a 10-strikeout performance, but I'm going to need more than four and two-thirds from you, big guy. What, what did you make of Gio's outing tonight? Yeah, um, I mean, great. Excellent performance, the 10 strikeouts, but save some of those bullets for actually going past the fifth inning. I would love for that because, yeah, it's a short season, so the bullpen being taxed is not as bad as it would be in 162 but i want firstly the man to get a win and maybe we as people who are growing up in this era devalue wins but i'm sure pitchers who grew up being that pitcher who got wins still like to get the w by their name and see their name in the box score as the winner of the game so I want him to get that for himself. And then secondly, it just saves the team from getting it, putting in players uh, that they don't need to. There's going to be some games they're playing this whole week. I think they don't have a break until like next week. And so I just need the bullpen needs a rest because this week they're going against the Tigers, three more games, and then the vaunted Cubs who will bring bats. We need our good arms available for that Cubs series Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So if we can save an arm from pitching on a day today, that would have been great. So next time when Gio goes out, I would just like him to have some uh, conservative, more of a pinpoint look that Dallas Keuchel brings to the table where he's not trying to strike people out. He's trying to induce weak contact. It seemed like uh, the balls that the Tigers were hitting, especially Scope, were rockets. There were some some hits that were they were rocketed to areas uh, that weren't good for him. And that's why he couldn't make the fifth in because Scope was the next batter up, and Ricky smartly didn't want him to face him for a third time. So White Sox improve now to twelve and eleven on the season and back above five hundred. Score of seven to two over the Tigers tonight. So after Geo exits, they get the the combination of Cshek. Cody Hoyer, who gets the win tonight. Zach Birdie gets a hold. Evan Marshall gets a hold. And Jose Ruiz uh, closing out the ball game tonight, of course, in a non-save situation. So a fantastic job by the bullpen tonight. Um, you got to love Zach Birdie out there getting two, two punch outs in the one inning he's out there. Yeah, yeah, he looked really nice. He uh, fell down, I think, 3-0 to one of the hitters. I think Miguel Cabrera then came back and battled back, and I think eventually he might have got a hit. But, yeah, he looked really nice. Uh, it was good to see the kid. Actually, he did induced a, a soft grounder by uh, Miguel Cabrera in that bat, and they just went over and threw the ball to Jose Abreu. But it was good to see the kid. I'm rooting for him really hard to do very well because I think – a couple of years ago, he was going to be the close of the future. The arm problems, I think he had a knee problem. 
derailed that, and it's good to see a kid, especially a local kid from Downers Grove, do what he's doing, and then the luck that the family's had with his brother Nick yeah. having multiple surgeries and now out for Pittsburgh. So yeah, I'm good for Zach Birdie being well, doing well in his career. Maybe one of those silver linings this year with all the injuries is you have guys thrusted into roles that they normally wouldn't have been thrusted into, and certainly Birdie as as a late inning high leverage guy, a bridge guy. That would, that would be a cool thing going forward. If all of a sudden they realize, hey, we have something here, we we can count on him going forward, and you know maybe a guy you know setting up bummer, or you or you can just use bummer in the future, presuming he comes back healthy, use him as a strictly high leverage middle of the game Andrew Miller type, where you have a big you you need to get big outs early to get your starting pitcher out of a jam, and then you can go with other guys the rest of the way. But, yeah, that would certainly be a great asset to have at the back end of your bullpen. So I love all the early returns out of Zach Birdie so far in 2020. Uh, some bad news tonight. Well, we don't know how bad it is quite yet, but uh, later on in the ball game, after uh, Andrew Romine – I always make sure I get my Romines correct here. Um, we'll go back and fix that in post if it's the incorrect Romine. But – uh, Andrew Romine hits a tapper out in front of uh, the catcher's position, and after Yasmani Grandal fields it and sort of meekly tosses to, to first base, Lolly pops it over there. He asks for help, and the trainer comes out to get him, and all of a sudden Yasmani Grandal exits the ball game early, and it, it certainly didn't look good. You know, a lot of the players seem to uh, be concerned. They had a shot of Yoan and, and T.A. out there, sort of like, oh, what's going on with, with, with Yasmani? And it's such a weird spot to come out of a of a game because he didn't it didn't look like he landed on his knee wrong uh stoney said it looked like he was gonna try to throw to second base but then he knew he couldn't do it so that's why he just sort of lollipopped it over the first but i'm not going to speculate here because i'm not a doctor breaking news but if yasmani's going to be out of the lineup for any extended period of time that that's a that's bad news for the pitchers that's bad news for the offense it seems to be clicking and i, I just hope it's nothing serious yeah, and uh, White Sox have come across and said that Yasmani Grandal left tonight's game with lower back stiffness. He is day-to-day, so that is at least encouraging. I thought initially when he did throw the ball kind of gingerly over first base, it looked like a back injury, and when he was walking down the stairs to the clubhouse, it looked like he was doing gingerly like you have a back problem maybe just a pulled muscle, something that is minor that can massage that out. And he'll probably have a day off tomorrow and maybe a day after that and then get back at there in Thursday's contest for the Detroit Tigers. So at least that's kind of good news. The White Sox have not been getting good news as far as injuries and health-wise. It's been one injury after another, and they desperately cannot afford the injury to Yasmani Grandal. And I know you guys are out there yelling that James McCann's a better catcher anyway. He sucks. <laughs> Yasmani's a bum. James McCann has performed better than Yasmani Grandal this year. Yes, of course. But James McCann will not be a White Sox player after this year. He'll be a free agent. Rightfully so. He'll go out and sign a big-time contract and – He'll be somewhere else. And if James McCann has to take the majority of the starts for the rest of the year, I'm fine with that. But you got to have Yasmani Grandal going forward. You signed him to a big deal. He is a good player. He has struggled so far. But trust me, the kid will be all right at the end of his four years. You'll be happy that they signed him. And, yes, it's a good development that the White Sox have done with James McCann because when it was Detroit, he was just a backup player that occasionally got hits. He's an all-star now with the White Sox. He looks good this year. He's trying to get his paper right. And 
It's good for him. He took that demotion and stride. He was pissed, but he got to work. He didn't just sulk. It seems like he has improved his game tenfold, even though he was an all-star last year. He's even better this year. Absolutely. And it was great to see Zach Collins get some work tonight, huh? He got out there and was uh, taking those warm-up pitches <laughs> from Cody Hoyer. Like, come on, man. Like, I just That's why he's on the roster. He's that guy. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Every time I see him out there, I'm like, oh, God, this this guy's still around. And I just feel so bad because he's not getting the at-bats. We don't know if he can catch yet. The answer's, pro- answer's probably no. But here's another DH that can't hit. Uh, the White Sox have cornered the market. The market inefficiency on DHs who can't hit. The Sox have them all but yeah it's just like oh there comes that count oh is he coming into the game oh he forgot his catcher's equipment oh no he's just warming up cody hoyer while the real player james mccann comes in the game so yeah that was that was, that was funny and another funny thing that i saw tonight um when geo was sort of battling through that fourth inning um and miguel cabrera is on second base i don't know if you noticed this also but he's out there his team's losing um and he's out there just cracking jokes with tim anderson because of course they ran that pickoff play uh, a couple plays before that, a couple a couple batters before that, and here's Miguel Cabrera out there with Tim Anderson and cracking jokes, smiling, and that's why I love Miggy. That's why he's one of my favorite players ever. In 17 years, I don't think I've ever seen him angry on a baseball field, and, and I think that's the only way you succeed at this level for that long is you go out there sort of with that childlike enthusiasm and, and never taking yourself too seriously. And, you know, perhaps a Tigers fan wouldn't like that in that spot of a ball game, you know, losing. But that's why we love Mickey. Ain't that right, Herb? Exactly. And I'm so sad that I didn't get to see him this year. And like we want him to stay around for another couple years just so we have the opportunity to see him in the stadium for his last time as a playing the White Sox or something like that. Because he's great for the game. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's going to go down as one of the best right-handed hitters, one of the best hitters of all time. I love him. He plays the game the way you need to play it, and it was a smile on his face. He's excellent. I love him. All right, Herbie, before we get to the mailbag here, I've got an interesting This Day in White Sox history today. It's sent over to me by our guy Sox Nerd, who, of course, does a great job uh, manning the the scoreboard graphics and trivia at uh, Guaranteed Rate Field. We don't have a chance to uh, witness his fine work this year with no fans, but Sox Nerd sends this to me today. And I'll, and I'll read it. This is in 1906 on this day, August 17th, 1906. Thanks to Lee Tannehill's RBI single in the ninth, the White Sox pinned a 4-3 loss on Cy Young and the Red Sox in Boston. Billy Sullivan scored the game winner as the Sox extended their unbeaten streak to 15 games. So, yeah, my, my great-great-uncle Lee with a big contribution there for the Hitless Wonders on this day back in 1906. How about a 15-game win streak? Fucking <laughs> Cy Young. He sucks. He's, He's really overrated. I mean, they, they named the award after him before he even accomplished anything in this damn league. I'm glad they beat him that day. And, of course, the Hitless Wonders, by the way, your first Chicago World Series champion. They went on to beat the Cubs in that World Series that year in 1906, uh, and uh, and the White Sox franchise just re- resumed their reign of, of dominance for the next hundred years. <laughs> I mean, they won one uh, eleven years after that. I mean, only only blue skies coming after that. I'm sure they won multiple championships after that 1917 championship i think they I can't did be wrong on that. yeah we won't look it up but I, I think they did they had to have but, but uh, yeah thank you socks nerd for sending that to me 
I always like when I can get a, a Lee Tannehill nugget thrown my way, especially he was not particularly, uh, uh, he, he was uh, probably why they were named the Hitless Wonders. He hit like 220-something lifetime, and I was like, oh, maybe he was an on-base guy. I looked that up. It was like maybe 260-something on-base. So, yeah, it's not often he had uh, many moments to shine there. But, yeah, thank you, Soxner, for shooting that on over to me this day in 1906. All right, before we get to the mailbag here, this Mailbag Monday edition of Locked on White Sox is brought to you by rockauto.com. You know, friends, there are many reasons to stay on top of your car's maintenance, but one of them is so you can save money and use that money for things you much rather use it for, like mortgage or food or trips. But why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more for the same auto parts at a chain store or at a new car dealership? You see, chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but rockauto.com's prices are always the same for everybody, and guess what? They're always reliably low. rockauto.com offers the lowest possible prices rather than charging prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Just go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake pads all the way to tail lamps and motor oil and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks. Just go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and do this for us. Would you write locked on in there? How'd you hear about us box? So they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. And let's open a bag, Herbie, shall we? Let's do it. A lot of emails. We're going to try to get to some. There's another email. I love email. And we love email, too. We love when you send us your email. Very, very spirited edition of Mailbag Monday once again this week. And we can't thank you guys enough for your contributions and your interaction with us early on here in the 2020 season. If you want to get a hold of us, how can they do that, Herbie? Locked on socks at gmail.com. That is locked on socks at gmail.com for this mailbag Monday. We read them all, not all of them make it to the mailbag Monday. So send it early and often. We'll read them and we'll determine if yours is good enough to get on this episode. All right, first one up is from Quinn. Again, we'll, we'll read these in the order in which they were sent uh, because, you know, I don't have an intern here to sort them by uh, relevance <laughs> and topics. So uh, this is Quinn saying, hey, Herb, hey, Chris. Firstly, let me just say I'm a big fan of the show. Oh, thanks. My question is that with the amount of new uniforms debuted across the league this year, Twins, Rangers, Brewers, Padres, how would you guys feel about a new White Sox uniform in 2021? Maybe bring the vest back. I think a new uniform would go hand-in-hand hand with the message of a completed rebuild and a new improved White Sox team. Maybe bring back the vests. What do you think? He he goes back to the vest twice. I think he's leading us here, and he's leading the witness, which is you today. So I'm going to let yes. you take it from here. Go ahead, vest boy. <laughs> so I'm a big fan of the vest, and I am not a big fan of the 1983 uniforms they wear on Sundays. My perfect solution is for the White Sox to go back to the uniform they wore for all the LDS and all of the ALCS, uh, and all of them. They they lost the first game, and then they stopped wearing them after that because they were uh, bad luck. But when they hit all those home runs in that game, they were wearing the vest, and they wore them a lot, and I don't know why they stopped. 
They look sharp. I have one of those jerseys, so I'm a little biased. So, yeah, I am all in favor of going back to the vest on Sunday, on a Sunday um, basis only. I like the uniform they have now, the white pinstripe, white and pinstripe uniform, classic SOX and Old English. I think it's one of the best uniforms in baseball. So, yeah, if they can get bring back the vest, I'm all for those. That would be the best thing for everybody involved. 83 things I think are just overrated. I don't know why people love them so much. I, I'm just not a fan. Charlatan. Um, anyway, <laughs> so as for, I love the vest too. I'm a big fan, especially like, you know, when you have young guys up there who get up there and mash and you guys would swag, like they would love the vest. We saw what it did for the Reds when they, when they brought out the vest last season. And, you know, of course we have Jimmy Guns, Jimmy Cordero out in the bullpen. Like he, how much would he love the vest? I mean, he would probably like, you know, turn it into like a, a crop top or something like that. Like you'd take it, you would take it that next extra step. But I've always, I said this year on, on that Rube Foster podcast, I think they should do the Chicago American Giants uniforms on Sunday. I love those. I, matter of fact, this, these teams make so much money and there's so many opportunities there with merchandising. And, you know, I certainly used to be a big Jersey guy before I got into this, you know, sports radio industry and tried to be pseudo professional but when I what I but I was gifted a Frank Thomas Mitchell and Ness you know the the black mesh like batting practice jersey I love that it's one of my favorite things and if you might catch me at the ballpark rocking a Juan Uribe but I love mixing up the jerseys I said from the very beginning I thought this year would have been a perfect year to bring back the 1990s era uh jerseys like the the, the white uniforms with the the blue and red White Sox script uh, across the chest. You know, picture Frank Thomas in his rookie year, early Robin Ventura. Those jerseys right there, I thought it would have been a great opportunity for them to mesh those together with this year's team because that team had a lot of young stars, a lot of homegrown talent, and it was sort of ushering in the uh, the the next era, the next wave of White Sox baseball. So I thought it would have been a perfect opportunity to do that because it was like the 30th anniversary but yeah, man, I, I'm always down for changing it up. I will say this, though, about the, the current White Sox uniform. I've always felt conflicted about it because I know it is one of the best-looking jerseys in all of sports. I mean, you talk about the home whites with the pinstripes, the black alternates, just awesome. I hate the fact that they took away the uh, the diamond sock logo on the road jerseys, but even still, mm-hmm. the road jerseys are smooth as hell. But I, I've always felt conflicted because, like, the White Sox jerseys have no real history because they used to change them up all the time. And I guess change is good in that regard, especially when you're talking about aesthetics. You're never getting static. You know, God knows it hasn't worked for the Yankees. I mean, ugh, who likes those uniforms? Just absolute trash. I mean, um, but, yeah, so I've always felt a weird way about the Sox current jerseys because I know they only did it because after, like, NWA made, like, wearing black popular back in the early 90s, late 80s, like, all of a sudden everyone was starting to ride the wave. You know, they were rocking lots of Raiders gear back then, so, like, the Sox capitalized on that. And, and granted, you know, tip your cap because with their cap, like, they have one of the best-looking caps in all of baseball. It's the most versatile because it's black and white. It matches everything. So I love the jerseys, but I would like them – Maybe if you're not going to go with the 1990 throwbacks or the vests, one option would be you're starting to see them integrate that that White Sox script. Like they gave away that free hoodie. I think it was last season. It was a black hoodie with the White Sox script going across the chest. I think they they could re- incorporate something like that maybe, like where you're where old meets new, like even as an alternate, like maybe for a home alternate, do all black 
with the white white socks scripted out on the chest. I think that would be pretty smooth. And bring back the diamond sock for Christ's sake. I'm sick of looking at. We know that the socks. You don't need to have the socks logo on the jersey. So, but yeah, you know what I don't like about the alternate black how they've altered it. Yeah. The we're watching the other day when the anniversary of Wilson Alvarez's no hitter in Baltimore came up and that black jersey was just crisp, just all black. All black, no, no trimming. And but no the trimming. But, but did they have were the buttons uh white or silver? Like they had different color buttons, right? Like the buttons yeah. popped. Yeah. It just looked cleaner, just looked better. Like now I look at the uniform they have and I have one of those uniforms with the trimming on the on the sleeves, and I'm like, it's not as good. When I look back at those, it's like, man, that looked look real nice. It pops the names, the jerseys, the the SOX. It pops when it's just all black, and I like that look. It was unique to the White Sox. So if they want to do that, just take off the trimming on the sleeves and such. Uh, I'll be a fan of that too. Yeah, I mean, the, the White Sox, they've been around for over 100 years. Like, So to answer your question, Quinn, I'm be down with whatever they wanted to do. Bring back the South Side Hitmen, the Powder Blues. Or, you know, I know they did the pinstripes like 10 years ago or whatever on Sundays uh, or just home, like, you know, getaway days at home or whatever they did where they had the red and white pinstripe. And I love the 59s that they wore in 05. Those were smooth, especially when you honor it in the traditional sense where they're a little bit baggy. You know, I love they have such a great history of great looking jerseys. Some of them not so much, like the the Ed Farmer era jersey with the with the collar. Ask Chris Sale about those. But yeah, man, mix it up, man. This is a it's a it's a weird, long, rich history that the White Sox have. So you should honor that a little bit and kind of just flex, especially like guys love that. Like I'm I'm you know, I love the eighty three jerseys, like, you know, obviously, but they're going to you know every Sunday. I I'm I've grown tired of them. I won't say sick of them because I still think they look dope. Especially yesterday, the way TA looked out there. You had the Negro League patch on there. You know it just it looked it, with the Nike swoosh. They look smooth, but I'm already I'm I'm getting tired of them because they've worn them. I think every Sunday at home for like the last three or four years. So I've had time to move on, I think, or maybe switch it up and go with with the grays or something like that. But anyway, thank you, Quinn. We start with the hard-hitting questions here on Lockdown White Sox talking about <laughs> jerseys. But um, on to the next one. Uh, Jorge writes this. Sox back on track. He sent this earlier last week. Sox back on track, but Renteria manager is a train wreck waiting to happen. He's still in training on how to manage a winner and not a minor league team. He pitches Bummer in a blowout loss and then gets hurt the same week. He bats Delmonico fourth when he has Robert available and many other lineup moves that make no sense in a 60-game season. Do you think the Sox can win with Renteria, and will he finish his contract, or is he just warming the seat for Ozzy or any other manager that might be available? Uh, thank you, Jorge, for your contribution to the mailbag. But real quick, just a footnote about that Bummer thing. So, the game he's talking about, Aaron Bummer pitched August 2nd against the Royals. The Sox won that game 9-2, to but he came on after the Sox put up a 7th spot in the 6th inning that night. So my, from what I remember, Bummer had to have been warming already in a tight game, and they didn't want to have him you know, get up, warm up, and then sit him down because I think they'd much rather have a guy get out there and pitch uh, than, than start him stop him and then sit him down. Like, I think that's worse for your arm in a lot of ways, but ultimately ended up not mattering because he gets hurt uh, about a week later. So, all right, there's a lot to unpack there, Herbie. So do you think Ricky Renteria will finish his contract with the White Sox? I don't know how long his contract is, but if the White Sox do, I think the only way, and I think I've said this before, the only way Ricky Renteria does not 
retain his job into 2021 if the White Sox do not make it to the playoffs. That is the only way that he's going to get fired. If they make it into even that wild card, that 7-8 spot, the White Sox will bring him back. But if the White Sox do not make that playoffs with eight teams in the 15-team league or side of the league in the American League, they'll have to move on from him. Other than that, I think Rick, Rahan, and Jerry and all those people kind of dig what he does, and, and they're fine with him. Unless there's a clear-cut, available guy like you've been clamoring for in Tito Francona, they're not going to be moving on from him. I, I think he's by the way, a, a made man. Have you been following what's going on in that Cleveland clubhouse, by oh, the way? I love, you love You love I to love see it. it. <laughs> I love it double because of, firstly, the players. Well, here's to whiteboard it. The whole situation with Zach Plesak and Mike Clevenger. They went out in Chicago, broke curfew. Um, one was sent home in a car because he got caught by MLB security. The other one snuck back in the hotel and wasn't found out to in MLB security. That was Mike Clevenger. Then you get the video four days later from Mr. Plesak pretty much blaming the media for his whole situation, not taking responsibility for his own actions. So there's players in the Cleveland clubhouse and they have a meeting with these guys and the MFs are flying. People are talking They're like you motherfuckers are causing us problems. We got Carlos Carrasco here. He just survived leukemia. You're putting the rest of us in trouble. And then one player, I don't know if they named his name said, Hey, I'll opt out this bitch. If you guys don't send these people's, somewhere else packing because Stoney said like Stoney said a Carlos Santana type <laughs> on the broadcast tonight. <laughs> but I mean you talk about veterans on that team I mean there's not many guys that have that have a lot of tenure on that squad like you think Lindor and you think Santana but it was mm-hmm. funny the way Stoney put it today let's say a Carlos Santana type <laughs> yeah so it's great firstly because the players are as mad at those people than that we are and also, it's Cleveland having some turmoil because, you know, fuck Cleveland, you know, <laughs> the Indians. I'm not too fond of them, but it's good that those players are taking ownership of their team and putting those guys to task because you would usually have, you know, a Major League Baseball club. It's kind of like a close-knit group, and they, you know, protect against every outside force. But no, they're like, you two are selfish pricks get the fuck out of here until we need you. And the players don't want them around there. And I don't know if they're going to be on the, the squad ever, ever again this season. It's six weeks left. Can they get back? They're probably their you know, top five pitchers by far. And one of the uh, top tier pitchers in the league, both Zach Plesek and Mike Clevenger. And I think Clevenger is like on a, on a walk here. So they – Definitely and desperately need to be back on that Indians team. And I think also for the Indians, they need them on the team to have any chance in the playoffs. Absolutely. So sorry to, to go off on a tangent there, but I thought that was a really compelling story tonight broke by Jeff Passan on Twitter with the Indian situation. So unless you have a solid replacement that you know is absolutely better than Rick Renteria, I don't I don't know what you do there. And the second part of this is, do you see, is he just warming the seat for Ozzy? I, I don't think that Ozzy thing is happening. Anyone, Me either. Yeah, anyone who, I would love it. 
Of course. Yeah, we would love it professionally. We would love it personally as Sox fans. I think I love he he does have that old school approach. You can tell. I remember seeing him speak at one of the the 05 seminars at Sox Fest a couple years ago, just railing against the way teams uh, use bullpens now and they don't trust their starting pitchers. Like I love that part of it is is you know using your starting pitchers and not giving you know giving up a game to guys with with inferior abilities in the bullpen like in the fifth or sixth inning just go out there and ride with your guys man so he has a lot of old school ideologies that I don't think necessarily jive with what a lot of GMs are trying to do nowadays plus you know all the other stuff that comes along with it but if anyone remembers the way he exited here it was ugly like how many times do you see a manager leave in that in that sort of fashion, like we're just a couple of days left in the year, and it was just it was bad. And you hit the way he left things with Kenny Williams, I don't think uh, was was that great. <laughs> um, they've they've appears like they've amended fences a little bit over the years, but it could just be for show, and if, you know, could be just amicable enough to for them to just converse uh, publicly without you know getting at each other's throats but that ended really badly and you know that's the thing with the with the White Sox and with Jerry Reinsdorf nothing is 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 everything's in play here I think in terms of guys who have had previous success for you so I think that's always something to keep an eye out for but I, I worry that the that the modern game quote unquote I'm not saying it's right or wrong but I worry about the modern game sort of passing Ozzy by a little bit he definitely has the credentials he definitely deserves another spot somewhere he should definitely be on somebody's bench like like someone like that would be an invaluable resource and I don't mean to insult the man by saying he should be a bench coach but if you want to get back in the game I think that would be a good opportunity to do so but you would think who's ever uh you know uh, above him as a manager would always get be a little self-conscious about okay I got this guy breathing down my neck who's who's got some pedigree here in, in the big league so yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be for Ozzy, but until someone else uh, opens up, then I would explore that option. But I think Renteria's got a lot of built-in, I don't want to call it excuses, but the factors here. I mean, this team is hanging on by a thread health-wise, and that's certainly out of Rick Renteria's control. So I think they're going to weigh that heavily. They're going to weigh in the whole COVID thing. You know, I think this whole year, depending on, you know, if the Sox make the playoffs and let's say they're a first-round bounce or they just barely missed the playoffs, I think – they're going to look at it like, well, there's a lot of adverse factors here going against Rick Renteria. So I, I worry about that if, if you're trying to give Rick Renteria the boot. But they've got so many injuries here, it's hard to blame anything on him. You know, uh, lineup construction is one thing, but when you don't have all your guys that you're supposed to have, you know, I, I don't know how much you can blame a manager. Yeah, I agree. And with Ozzy coming back, I, you know, I am not a fan of managers, as people widely know. Uh, I don't think they have really a win-loss thing. They don't have a, uh, a stake in that. But I would love Ozzy just for the pre and post for, you know, a mostly Latino team uh, and Ozzy leading them. He he seems like he knows the guys already, already has a nice rapport with them. And that would be a nice look for the White Sox to go back to their past and have a guy with some uh, some ability to take the pressure off the guys by putting the spotlight on him like Joe Madden, like any other manager, the Aussie thing wears thin after a while. But as long as we get that Aussie bounce in the first two years, I'm good. 2004 was good. Yep. 2005 was good. 2006 was good. And then, you know, it started wearing off after 2008 uh, appearance. Cause people started thinking that Aussie was in it for himself. And so not in taking the pressure off the players necessarily just trying to get some shine from himself. 
Uh, just to cap this Ozzy thing real quick, one of his best attributes, and I said this on Twitter yesterday, one of his best attributes as a manager was learning when to take the pressure off the players and put it on himself. And a lot of times those things were sort of detrimental to to the perception of the White Sox organization. Like, you know, I remember the, the blow-up doll thing. I think it was in Toronto or wherever it was. Like, it was uh, things that wouldn't necessarily fly today in today's climate, for better or for worse. But one of the things he always did was take the pressure off the players. And I think in today's era of social media and everyone being under the microscope 24-7, I think there would be no better trait to have as a manager than to be able to take pressure off your players where pressure is seemingly coming from from every possible angle. So something to consider maybe going forward. But uh, thank you very much, Jorge, for your email. Uh, moving on next here, of course, it's none other than Pete Hand. Hello, my name is Mr. Hand. Thank you once again, Pete, for your contribution. He asked this question. Why wasn't Renato Flores used in the second game of the doubleheader? Wasn't he there only for that game? Why not use him instead of a different bullpen arm? Herbie, I'll let you take this one. This is a slam dunk, right? Very easy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. He, you brought him up for a reason. That was the only game he was on the roster for. MLB allows you, when you're doing these double headers, to expand to 29 men. And he was the 29th man. I was surprised he wasn't the starter or the opener in that second game. But, you know, we had the great Matt Foster do work. Only going two innings, which is ridiculous to me, firstly, because of Matt Foster was filthy as two innings. And then secondly, he came back out the next damn day and pitched some more. So I was like, was he not done on Saturday? He had some more bullets in the gun and they just took him out after two. I mean, I don't like it. But Bernardo Flores brought up just to see Chicago and see the bullpen. Great. (laughs) I don't understand why uh, he wasn't used at all. Uh, maybe, I don't know, Ricky just trusts his veterans well, and the people he's already seen, but I I want to see the kid. Yeah. At least give him three three outs and see what he does. You don't know what he has until you try him out. Yeah, well, that's the thing about this team this year with all the young arms that we've seen. This is a, a good complaint for White Sox fans. Like You want to see more of these young guys because so far, Matt Foster, you mentioned, Cody Hoyer, um, a little rocky tonight, but got through it. You know, you want to see these young guys because all of a sudden Zach we're, Birdie. we're Zach Birdie, who was great tonight. You had all of a sudden you want to hear, you want to see these guys come up a little bit and say, "All right, let's see who's next." Like, let's see how deep this uh, pitching depth goes. So, but here's what I think happened here. I think when they have a situation like this where they're gifted the extra man uh, during a, a doubleheader situation like that, I think their logic going into it is. We're only going to use this guy in an emergency, like a, in a blowout situation. And I think the seven-inning games impacted this a little bit. Like maybe if it was a nine-inning game, you would have seen him just to sort of get him acclimated and sort of, you know, just get, get his feet wet a little bit at the major league level. But, you know, I think the seven-inning games caught everyone a little – like they were off off kilter, I think. The way Ricky managed that game was a little odd, I think, you know, with sticking with Giolito for as long as he did. But I think they have a plan in place with some of these guys who have never pitched before. Like we're only going to use you in an emergency – and we, we're here just to have you here, just to be around the club. And we, we'd re- much rather not use you at all. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if Rick Hahn addressed that today in a Zoom call. I did not get a chance to check that out. But maybe there's some answers in there. But, yeah, Pete, it, just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I would much rather, if you're going to go through the whole process of having a guy come up from Schaumburg and – and put on big league baseball pants, like you just get him in an inning or just a batter or just something just to say, hey, 
there you go. You earn this and, you know, use this as, you know, savor the flavor, you know, and, and keep working on stuff you need to work on. And maybe we'll see you again soon. But, yeah, it was certainly uh, perplexing as the, the way I saw it, too. So thank you, Pete, uh, once again for the email. Uh, next one comes from Sam. Sam says, longtime listener. Thank you. My question is, given the urgency of our current starting rotation for the immediate future, you guys thinking re-signing Jose Quintana in the offseason a realistic avenue to pursue in free agency? Thank you, Sam from Hinsdale for checking in. Herbie, a Quintana reunion? What do you think? I'm always a fan of that. I say the White Sox need to, uh, absolutely need to sign at least two free agent starters for this offseason. You can't go into next year with the uncertainty that they have right now. Giovanni Gonzalez pitched well tonight. Ten strikeouts, I'll do with that. But again, he didn't. He failed to make it to five innings. He's putting an extra a burden on the on the bullpen today. Uh, that it was a good start. I mean, the ten strikeouts, I like it. But he needs to make it to at least five innings to give them a break. Uh, and so I don't see him going forward into next year as a guy that you're going to have to rely on. Michael Kopech will be coming back off of two years. So you're not going to have him being relied on. And also he'll be coming off of Tommy John, the first couple uh, first pitching that he'll do off of Tommy John in real games. So you probably can't depend on him. He'll be at an innings limit. So you have Lucas Giolito. Then you have uh, Dallas Keuchel and then Dylan Cease, maybe depending on how he looks. I mean, he'll be in the starting rotation, but I don't know if you can actually count on him to be the guy that you want him to be in number three. And I know people are yelling, Ronaldo Lopez. I'm I'm cast in Ronaldo Lopez. Until I see something better, I'm good on him. And there's not going to be any Carlos Rodon. So a reunion with a man like Q, who's going to give you quality efforts most of the time you got out there. Uh, we can win the trade officially having Eloy and Cease and Q on the same team. They can have Brian Flette and Matt Rose back <laughs> if they want to. And then another starting pitcher. You got Marcus Stroman out there. Uh, Robbie Ray's available. A lot of starting pitchers out there that are available and decently uh, affordable for the White Sox. So I would love for having Q back. There would be nothing better to have my man I've always rooted for, even when he's a Cub, Jose Quintana back and I can play my uh, juice uh, gifts all the time. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I'm down for it too. I think next year, like a lot of people see this as like a, a bonus year for the Sox where it's like, Oh, it's shortened season. Anything could happen. You know, I, I think of it as kind of like the, uh, the opposite of that. I think they're losing a good year of, of contention in their window be, you know, and, and it's unfortunate for them that they've had so many injuries. Like, you know, it's, it's sort of, I think if they don't make the playoffs here, it's going to be viewed as a, as a lost season. You know, I, I, it won't be because of talent. I don't think, cause we're starting to see all these guys we're, we're starting to see what their ceiling is looking like, but you know, it, it'll be a season looked at as a wasted opportunity, I think. So I think next year they should go full bore. And I think Marcus Stroman's a little bit higher, uh, on my list, then maybe Jose Quintana. But when you anyone who's seen Chicago baseball over the last eight years, you, you see Jose Quintana as a White Sox and as a Cub, and it's almost like two different pitchers. And I don't know if it's a happiness issue. 
Um, I hope it's not a pitching under pressure issue. Like I, I hope Jose's got the makeup to want to pitch in those situations, but he just seems like a different dude when you watch him. And last year, his peripherals like not good. Uh, exit velo, he was in the bottom fifteen percent. Hard hit percentage, he was in thirty eighth percent. Barrel percentage, okay, in the 75th percentile. So he's still give, giving up a lot of weak contact. But, you know, the velocity was down. Um, the whiff percentage was down. Uh, fastball spin is in the 5th percentile. You know, so strikeout percentage in the 29th percentile. So those numbers are not good. I'm curious to see what he'll do uh, bouncing back this year from the injury. Um, but I, I would be open to it just because he's – I would still call him a, a relatively known commodity at this level. So anything that you, you can – anyone that you can pencil in and say, okay, I know what this guy's going to give me every five days for better or for worse, and he may be on a downward trend, but it's better than dealing with young pitchers who are hurt. Like in 2021, they're going to ha- start having to go for it. Like they're going to have to – really make some moves and say, okay, we, we're going to take nothing for chance this year. And I know they're quote unquote losing money, but they're going to have to invest because you're seeing now more than ever that depth matters and guys get hurt, especially pitchers. And if you can bring on someone who you know it's going to give you every five days and a guy who's liked in the clubhouse, you know, not a whole lot of guys that were around when, when Q was here, but Obreu will vouch for him, I'm sure. And he just seemed like he was a much happier player when he was uh, on the south side so yeah i'd be all for kicking the tires on jose quintana uh, provided it didn't prohibit them from signing anyone else uh in that they were in the market for so yeah the, thank you very much sam for that question uh moving on here jordan from elk grove village writes this given nomar mazara's lackluster start to the season what are the chances we see mike rodolfo or blake rutherford get a call up yeah, that's a tough one. You know, tonight on Twitter, a lot of folks were clamoring, uh, you know, as Mazar continues to struggle and not look good at all. And maybe back to track a little bit, like we've been hammering Nomar Mazar pretty hard the past couple episodes. He's terrible. And yeah, he, he hasn't been good. At least he, he'll at least he'll walk for you a little bit, which is more than I could say about other guys on the team. But I don't know, maybe I just kept thinking about it. I was like, man, maybe, you know, this, this COVID thing, you know, I don't know if it's, it's affecting everything. It's affecting the rhythm. Who knows if he's even at 100% health. Maybe it's the, the pressure of coming into a new situation with the COVID. Like, it's, it can't be an easy situation for Nomar Mazara to come into. And so I'm trying to think about that every time I see him up there because he just looks totally lost. You know, it's a guy who – this is not a guy who's only been in the big leagues for a year and a half. Like, he's been in the big leagues for a while already. So – for him to look so lost at this level, and it's not like he's changing leagues, changing positions. He's just just from Texas to Chicago. That's it. He's going from one hitter's park to another. So it just it's weird to me that, that he's been so bad, but he has been bad. And tonight, a lot of people were not necessarily clamoring for Michael Rodolfo or Blake Rutherford. They were they were clamoring for Luis Gonzalez to be out there uh, in the near future. So again, I don't know how these guys can progress. In Schaumburg without, I mean, I know they're playing games there, but it's it's not the same. Like, you know, it's it, it's something, it's a different layer than bringing in a team from outside and saying, hey, we don't we don't know these guys. We're going to compete against them for six, seven innings and and see what, what, what everyone's made of. It's, it's a little bit of a different dynamic and no one's watching them. So I, I take any type of development there. I take it with a grain of salt. So I don't know if you see it the same way. But I haven't heard Ray reviews about Mike Rodolfo other than he looks jacked, and I'm excited to see that. Um, 
But I think if he was going to be here, he would have been here already. I mean, look at what they're doing to Yermin Mercedes. Like he was actually hitting in spring training, and he has he's only seen like what one at bat so far. So I, I, for whatever reason, they're not bringing these young guys into the fold. And I thought I know Mike Rodolfo and Blake Rutherford haven't been lighting the world on fire, and we certainly weren't talking about them as the season began. Like these are guys to watch for who you could see. They were struggling a little bit, and we were, we talked about that level of outfield prospect that we're waiting for someone to sort of rise above the rest. But yeah, we haven't seen it so far with any of those guys. What do you think? Yeah. And I think they brought up Luis Gonzalez for a cup of tea, uh, a cup of coffee, cup of tea, (laughs) cup of coffee. uh, That was for the London series. They had tea. (laughs) Yeah. For today. uh, I would be surprised if he doesn't get a start in one of these four games versus Detroit, make his major league debut and see what the kid has. I mean, what do you have to lose? This is another example. I would have rather saw Michael Rodolfo up here because Michael Rodolfo is your homegrown guy. Picked him when he was 16. He's been through a lot of injuries. He's battled back. And now he looks like a absolute god <laughs> out there. Look, him and Luis Robert are battling for the best body out there. Give him a taste, too, since, you know, it shows a little bit of faith and, hey, we picked this kid when he was 16 and we developed him and this is what he looks like right now. We want to showcase him or at least give him a little uh, attaboy. Good job. This is what your reward is. And even if he doesn't, you know, succeed at the major league level, you at least give him the taste of the major leagues and say, okay. I want more of that. I need more of that. And that he strives to get back up there. But good for Luis Gonzalez. I want him to start one of these games. I've seen enough. I'm good. I'm real good on Nomar Mazzara. The approach is so flawed. He came up in the middle of this game today. Uh, I know we talked a little bit about it earlier. but And missed like a 94-mile-per-hour fastball that bisected the plate. It's right down the middle. Elevated. You know, the guy didn't really have anything else. This is the guy that gave up the home runs to both Luis Robert and Danny Mendick. And then in between, Nomar Mazzara strikes out to his 94-mile-per-hour fastball. So I'm like, you know, the guy's not out out there you know, fooling anybody except for Nomar Mazzara. We need a guy who is hungry. I mean, look at what we got from Danny Mendick. Yeah, he's his numbers don't look great. But when he's up to bat, you feel like he's giving you everything he's got. You feel like he's processing what the pitcher's trying to do to him and then working the count or trying to put the barrel to the ball and do something good with his bat. I don't see that out of Nomar Mazar, and I'm sure he wants to hit a home run and all that good stuff. But give a guy who's struggled and then battled through minor leagues and didn't have all the advantages that Nomar Mazar had the chance to do something with that spot and take that job away from Nomar Mazar because there's no way in hell that Nomar Mazar just like has a spot. He hasn't done anything in his major league career to have that lockdown at all. And he, yeah, he's 25 years old, blah, 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 blah. The guy's not ready. He's not ready. He hadn't seen – I haven't seen anything that I was like, okay, I could see a little glimmer of what Rick and them were talking about. Like with Joe Borchard, I can see a little bit of what Kenny was talking about when he drafted him out of Stanford. He sucked eventually. And it's the same thing with Josh Fields and 
the other guys who flashed real quick. I was like, okay, I see the potential. I see the Brett Morrell thing. I can get it. I do not see this Nomar Mazzara thing. I don't. Yeah, it's a tough go right now for Nomar Mazzari. It's tough to watch. And sometimes with these these kids that have been in the minor leagues, I think they get complacent after a while. And that's part of the development hurdle, I think, that these these GMs and development guys look at. I, I think they see these guys down there and they're like, okay, how are they handling the complacency and the, 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 the emotional hurdles of maybe not getting your call when it's time to get that call? But that sometimes when they do get the call – they thrive and they they have an intangible qualities that that you you simply can't just quantify you know so maybe that's the situation with one of these kids but i'm i'm all for roster churning man like that that's how you find out find guys who maybe you didn't think so highly of and all of a sudden you you put them out there and they give you a little spark so I, i'm up for anything you know it, it's good that that gonzalez is here I, I think you're right i think you will see him in, in short order here you know but yeah, it's it's certainly not good for Nomar Mazzara, and I don't know what he's got to do to get right. But it certainly right now looks like uh, that was a big old swing and miss from Rick Hahn because in those those winter meetings, it was like, okay, everyone, welcome to the 2019 baseball winter meetings. It's going to be a historic free agent class with lots of money changing hands, and we've got top tier free agents all over the place and oh we're the white Sox. we want no more mazara wait what what are, what are you talking about what, what what's going on here uh no we we want him he's ours don't touch him everyone we, we're getting we're, we're giving up steel walker for him cool white Sox. yeah just calm down for a second you, you didn't have to get no more mazara so early here so we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that one plays out i, I you know not only is a Sox fan perspective but you just want to see it work out because you hate seeing professionals struggle at this level because it's pretty clear that he he's pressing or he's not right or you know maybe feeling some of the effects from from the covid as far as getting his 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 baseball bearings back underneath him so thank you very much jordan for the email we appreciate you moving on here quickly as we can we got a lot of good emails here tonight mike writes this hi guys new listener to the podcast thank you for your thoughtful and humorous socks talk i think he's got the wrong socks podcast he said thoughtful and humorous uh, not us. No, definitely not. Uh, why wouldn't the Sox call up a starter for the taxi squad for these doubleheaders to cover Lopez and Rodon's missed starts? It seems like they're giving up games that they can't afford to lose by doing bullpen games. They've boasted about pitching depth for years, and if they can't bring up a spot starter during a need, I feel something is wrong with the organization. What are your thoughts? Thank you, Mike. What do you think, Herbie? Should they have brought up someone else? <clears throat> Dane Dunning. <clears throat> I was clamoring for that. I mean, they brought up a starter. They brought up a guy who made 15 starts in double A last year, Bernardo Flores, a guy that could have gave you some length and versus a team that hadn't played in two and a half weeks. And maybe just maybe without a scouting report, without any type of uh, book on Bernardo Flores, he could have flourished because, you know, they don't know what he offers. They don't know what he brings to the table. And the kid could have did some damage versus the Cardinals. So they did bring up a guy that was available to start that game. I love Matt Foster, and he did well. But, you know, if we were just doing opener things and he was only going to get two innings, I'm not a fan of that necessarily either. So, yeah, so – to answer your question, Bernardo Flores is a starter, so they did do that. And as far as Dane Dunning goes, the what we were told is that he wasn't stretched out quite enough to their liking for it for him to get a starting spot. I, I think you'll see him before the season ends, not only because of the way these injuries are starting to stack up, but I just think in, in general, like he's a guy that was right on the cusp, right on the precipice of of, of breaking through 
and I think he, you will see him at some point. But what they said is they, he wasn't stretched out enough, and that's why he wasn't here making a start yet. So hopefully that changes because I would love to see him, and that would be that'd be exciting. I'd love to see him up there with the goggles. The goggles, they do nothing. Uh, it would be great to see Dane Dunning up here. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate you for the email, and thank you for the kind words about the podcast. But I think you were talking about uh, – the uh, James Fegan and Tom Fornelli podcast when you said thoughtful and uh, and humorous. So thank you very much, though. Uh, moving on here, Steve writes this one. You, Herb, you know I'm excited to, to, about this one here because uh, I did a little research about this one. Steve says this, While these are the new White Sox, I'm sensing the same dreadful lack of production from the DH spot, Edwin Encarnacion and Nomar Mazzara we saw last year. Any stats you can dredge up to illustrate this point year-to-date compared to last year at similar phase? What to do and when to pull the trigger on doing it? All right. Sorry, Steve, I don't have any. I, I, we're out for next question, Katie. Yeah, yeah. What, you know <laughs> we didn't what? Do any of it? That's that's why I dropped out of college because you know, I was sick of doing homework, <laughs> especially math. So I don't know what you think this is, Steve, but I, I'm already uh, I'm already tired of teaching. You know, being my kids' teacher here while while the school's not in session. So I, I don't have time for this nonsense, Steve. No, I'm just I'm just jashing you, Steve. All right, so I did do some research here. Um, and if you have children, make sure they make sure they uh, they earmuff it while we read some of these names. So last year in the DH spot in 2019, it was abysmal. It was a piss poor, as they like to say. So the production out of the DH spot for the White Sox in 2019 is as follows: in 151 games, 622 plate appearances, 550 at bats. 113 hits, 28 doubles, two triples, 17 home runs out of the DH spot, 75 RBIs. Um, that is good for, uh, let me check my math, bad out of a DH spot. When you talk about 17 home runs, that's like you would have been better off just literally just, just put one guy there the whole time and, and try to see if you can get lucky. Like Seriously, get a guy off the street and you may be able to get 17 home runs out of them in the DH spot. But yeah, they had a rough year, and it's because they had guys like this. Now, this is ranked uh, according to war in the DH spot. These are all the guys that that played DH for the Sox last year. Danny Mendick is the highest-ranking DH of 2019 with a 0.2 war, uh, followed by Zach Collins. They're all negative at this point. Zach Collins with a negative 0.3. Matt Skoll. Negative, mm. negative point five. Your guy here, Herbie AJ Reed, negative point Ugh. five. Wellington Castillo, beef, negative uh, one, and of course Manny Machado's brother-in-law, negative one point three. War Yonder Alonso. Those are some bad, bad names in the DH spot. Um, so what I decided to do here is break it down from April to May of 2019 in the DH spot. So basically about a month, which is about where we're at now. I know it's a little less for the current edition of the Sox, but so from one month from April to May, 2019 in 44 games, the white Sox position yielded the DH position yielded a negative 0.4 war from the DH spot. And through one month of play last year, you only had seven home runs from the DH spot in the first month of the year in 2019. So Put that in your in your bonnet as we go forward to the current story of the DH. So here's what the Sox are doing in the DH slot so far in 2020. You've got Yasmani Grandal, positive war, 0. 
And then your mean Mercedes with a 0.0 war. He's the second ranked DH. Ryan <laughs> Goins, Zach Collins, and Edwin oh, Encarnacion. So already in 2020, what you're seeing here, through about a month's play, they're good for negative 0.6 war from the DH spot, which is not good. You thought that they were going to have just an abundance, a plethora of DH talent, and they'd be able to shuffle the lineup day in and day out where you get guys rest and you get different guys in the DH spot and they would be fresh and and, 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 and really producing for you. But so far... Not so good uh, for the White Sox in 2020 from the DH role. Now, a lot of that is because Encarnacion was hurt, um, but Grandal has not produced like you wanted him to as of yet. And some of the other guys who you thought you could cycle in there, Zach Collins has been a non-factor, just not present at all really so far in 2020. So it hasn't been much better. I don't know what to tell you other than you just hope that some of these guys return to the numbers on the back of the baseball card. But in 2019, just to sum up how bad the year it was in the DH role for the White Sox in 2019, the DH spot gave them a negative 3.5 war for 2019. So things are not trending much better, but I think they will turn around just because of the talent. Like if you hear those names that I said in the DH spot from last year, Mendick, Skull, A.J. Reed, Castillo, Yonder Alonso, they've got much better names and guys who have actually proven it at the big league level in 2020 so her but after hearing all that i know it was real real clunky the way i put it all together but i thought i crunched the numbers as well as i could there they call me mr stat at the at the station as you know that or dr stat actually i correct them all the time but yeah what do you think about the dh spot this year i know it's been weird with injuries and things like that but you think things will be eventually trending a little bit better yeah, I thought so. I was a big-time fan of them signing Edwin Encarnacion, who I'm still convinced will be a guy that at the end of the year will put up his regular numbers pro rate, of course, uh, in this little small season um, and hit the ball really hard. I mean, earlier today he hit a rocket double that was uh, called fair, and they celebrated like it was uh, one of the greatest things of all time. I love the the energy that they have with each other, especially the Latino group. They're just having a great time. Uh, but yeah, Edwin Encarnacion, if he's in there for the majority of the games, I think our DH spot will be a little bit more productive than the trash you just read off. So <laughs> I'm fine and I'll give him, he has, unlike Nomar Mazzara, a track record of being great and doing good things with his career and his job should be safe at all times. There should be nobody in there uh, challenging him for the job, and Ricky should be penciling him in there whenever he is healthy. Yeah, you've only got four home runs so far total in the DH role for 2020 Sox. I think that will improve. if Once Encarnacion's playing every day in that spot, I, I think he'll be the answer there long term, and he'll be the guy that they brought him in here to be. Because when he's healthy and he's right and he's in there, he's pretty productive, has pretty good at bat. So I, I don't... I have I have faith in Edwin there in that regard. So uh, wrapping it up here, uh, n- next one here is from Charlie. Here's the fragrance that comes your way. And they call it Charlie. <laughs> Charlie writes, hey guys, is Lucas Giolito an ace or have the potential to be one someday when more consistent and or... What's going on with Johan? That's that's really out of left field. He's swinging at terrible pitches. Got to wonder if he's struggling with the lack of game film a la Grandal. And that's an interesting thing that we haven't talked about yet is guys like J.D. Martinez, Yasmani Grandal, you know, blaming their, I don't say blaming, but one thing that's attributing to their slow starts is the fact that they can't go back and look at video. Thanks, Astros. Um, but 
let's go back to Giolito. Do you think he can be an ace? Or, or actually, he, the question was, is Giolito an ace? Go ahead from there, and we'll we'll kind of expound on that. Ooh, all right. Um, ace. I mean, if you if you just say that every team has this pitcher and he's the team's ace, I would say yes. Lucas Giolito is the White Sox ace. In general, for the rest of the league, whew, I think Lucas Giolito falls shortly, slightly below the level of ace. If you're going to say the ace is, you can have multiple aces on your team, and the aces are the best and the elite pitchers in this league. Lucas Giolito is really good. A very above average, very good pitcher. I do not believe he is elite. On a championship team, is he your number one? I do not believe so. I think on a championship team, he is your number two. And he can prove me wrong. Like Timmy has so far has proved me wrong that when I said he is not a leadoff guy. Uh, but from what I've seen of his whole White Sox career, I am not ace level yet for Lucas as far as the whole year or for the whole um, league. But for the White Sox, yeah, he's my ace. I always say that. Yeah. He is my ace. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I love Lucas and all, but you, just because a guy is the number one spot in your rotation doesn't mean he's an ace ace. And, um, Mark Craig and Andy McCullough wrote a great piece for the Athletic back in July. You can find it there now as I'm as I'm looking at it. But they broke down this concept of the ace. They they explained that starting pitchers are in different tiers. Tier one is an ace. Tier two an applicant. Tier three are your number two and three guys. Tier four is just guys. So they have in their their ace role uh, guys who are legit bona fide aces. You know, done deal. Garrett Cole, and you could stop me if you think Lucas Giolito's in any of these guys' category. Garrett Cole, Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, and that's it. Those are the only aces in baseball heading into the 2020 season. I don't think Lucas is quite there yet. He, uh, Andy McCullough and Mark Craig have Lucas Giolito in the applicants tier. Uh, so guys that are on the verge, guys that need to be more consistent but have the stuff um, have the makeup to potentially be an ace. So that's that's encouraging. At least that's what they think. And I kind of feel the same way. I don't think he's an ace-ace, a guy that you want out there starting game seven. Uh, but he could. that doesn't mean he can't get there because he, he's still learning a, as a big league pitcher, learning how to pitch with pressure, with expectations, learning how to navigate without his best stuff. Um, you know, I would like to see him mix in the curveball a little bit more that we were you know, supposedly going to get with, with Grandal being a part of the mix. But yeah, I think he's on the cusp, but one more solid year. If he finishes strong this year, maybe I'd consider thinking about it. But so far, no, he's not in that ace category for me, at least for, as far as all of baseball. But again, that doesn't mean that you need a, an ace. You don't need a, a DeGround to win a World Series or a Garrett Cole. They certainly help. You can do it like the 05 Sox did without a bona fide ace. Granted, you know, Jose Contreras was pitching as well as anyone down the stretch, but no one would call him uh, an ace of his generation. He wasn't a Johan Santana or anything like that. So, yeah, you know, you don't need one of those guys to win a World Series, and but I think he could still be there because I, I love his approach. I love the, his self-awareness and, and always willing to get better and improve and studying the game. So, yeah, he has all the characteristics of, a, of an ace. He just has to go out there and prove it. That does it for tonight's edition of Locked on White Sox, the Mailbag Monday edition recapping a big White Sox win tonight. They beat the Tigers by a score of 7-2. Fun night all around just watching baseball and and seeing the Sox beat up on a team that uh, is not as good as they are. But uh, 
Yeah, if you want to jump in on the Mailbag Monday for next week, it's never too early or never too late because we check these things right before we go on. So how can they do that, Herbie? They can email us at LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. That is LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. Questions, comments, anything you want to say. I mean, we read them all. Not all made it. Sorry, people who did send us an email this week and the weeks before that we haven't got to on our Locked on Socks Mailbag Monday. But it's only the best that make it so far. So if you want to get in, get in early, get in often, and make sure you send in LockedOnSocks at gmail.com so you can be on next week's Mailbag Monday. So for Chris Tannehill... I am Herb Lawrence. This has been another great, riveting, awesome episode of Locked on Sox. After a White Sox 72 wins over the Tigers, it's always good to beat them, even though I don't hate them that much. And I love when Matthew Boyd pitches versus the White Sox. It's the best (laughs) thing in the world. It's the best thing because Timmy Anderson eats deeply. So for Chris Tannehill, I'm Herb Lawrence. Thank you for listening to Locked on Sox.